Welcome to 20 Not Something, the podcast for 20-somethings who haven't quite figured out what their something is yet. Each week, I'll be speaking to a different guest about their experiences of this messy decade to reassure you that everything turns out all right in the end. Because doing something in your 20s can actually mean doing anything that makes you happy. This series of 20 Not Something is sponsored by Swirls and Curls your go-to luxury baked goods brand. Any of you who know me well will understand my infatuation with cakes and cookies. But what's even more impressive is when a brand can deliver top quality first-class products which still taste fresh and delicious with a warm home-baked touch. Swirls and Curls is a small business run by the lovely Kirsty, and her beautifully decorated cakes and sugar cookies are the perfect gift for a partner, friend, family member or for just treating yourself. They are incredible value for money, look fantastic and taste even better. Head over to Swirls and Curls on Instagram to feast your eyes and stomachs on their wide range of products and go and spoil yourselves and your loved ones this month with some truly tasty treats. Today I am joined by movement director and yoga teacher Christina Fulcher. Christina's 20s journey began soaking up sorority life at University of California, Santa Barbara, before moving on to her first introduction to the corporate world, a door-to-door sales job selling blackberries. Her early 20s were spent playing hard and working harder, balancing a hectic social life of fun nights out and dancing in downtown San Diego, with concierging at Beach Village at the Dell, all while starting her own non-profit organisation, Shades of Pink Foundation California. This, combined with hard and fast fallings in and out of love, coping with the emotional mechanics of an on-and-off eight-year relationship, while trying to sustain a large number of friendships, many of which were perhaps not the right fit, Christina found herself busy, hustling, but far from a version of herself which felt truly authentic. It wasn't until Christina's mid-twenties that she realised her true calling in life, teaching. During her teacher training, she was juggling multiple jobs at once, from nannying gigs to private dance classes, before finally landing her dream job as artistic director at Point Loma High School. However, becoming a teacher and constantly telling her students that they needed to dream big helped Christina realise that she wasn't honouring her own dreams in the same way. As a result, she took herself across the pond to study for an MFA in movement directing and teaching in the UK, and has been learning how to step into her flow and honouring her true self ever since. Christina's 20s feels like a combination of falling hard and fast in every possible way, whether that was into a new job, a new country or a new love interest. In her words, oh my were the 20s fun, but I definitely had a plan to have the perfect house, 2.5 kids and a husband, and all this exploded. Christina's messy decade just goes to show that it's often only when the dust settles that we are able to see just how beautiful life is when it doesn't go to plan. Christina, welcome to 20 Not Something. Yay! Oh my goodness. Wow. Um, I would say the sparkles settle and they're still there. (laughs) Oh, that was so beautiful. I'm like, what? I like that? (laughs) What a great story. Wow. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Um, I want to kick things off by asking you um, what the one thing that you wanted from your 20s was when you were a teenager if you can remember in my teenage years I would say I thought it was all going to work out with the boyfriend that I had at the time because we started at, like, we started dating at 16 and I really like thought it was going to be this like happily ever after 
Um, and that's, I guess, I'm, I have definitely the princess complex. So I guess in my 20s, it was, uh, you know, going, going to graduate from university. Then, uh, yeah, I, I just always, too, I guess it was a big dreamer. Um, but not really, I guess, sure. Like it always felt like, okay, I'm going to go do the corporate thing. I'm going to make some money and then I can always go be a teacher. But now in my thirties, I realized that that was really my parents, like kind of pushing me in that way. Um, and not my own, like true self and my true like power and that, what does money, like, what does it really mean? What does it like, you know, yes, it can buy you things and yes, it can make life a little bit easier, but Mm. also it was a recession when I graduated university. So it was, there was nothing available really. I can't tell you how many like job interviews I went on and then settled with this door to door sales job um, at the border in San Diego, selling blackberries and T1 lines. And (laughs) working 12 hours a day in my little like suit and going to these factories like, hello, would you like to? <laughs> and collecting business cards and um, and then partying on the weekends and meeting new people and just really trying to make it work. And then mm-hmm. um, that was really hard. And then I became yeah, a concierge at the famous hotel where Some Like It Hot was filmed with Marilyn Monroe. Do you think you nailed the sort of work-life balance? Because judging by the note you sent me, you know, you were doing so much all of the time. How did you not burn out? Oh, it was a constant burnout, I think. Um, and I, I'm still learning it. I'm actually reading a book right now by a vocal coach, two twin sisters called Burnout. Because um, it's that's just my MO. Like, I think in especially my early 20s, I was very, very of that, oh, we get to sleep when we die. Like, you know, I was a real like live hard, party hard, like make as friendly, many friends as you can, like experience everything um, mm. to the detriment probably of my well-being, of my care, of my sleep, of my uh, also like relationships. And yeah, and then, and just being a hot mess, I guess. Yeah, I love, you know, <laughs> and then, you know, different relationships and mm. Uh, you know, had a boyfriend that we were together on and off for eight years. And in my early 20s, we broke up, like for the final time, because basically my mom sat me down and was like, well, um, what if you get pregnant? And I was like, no. And, you know, I was like, oh, he's treated me really badly. I would never want to bring children into this world. Um they would ever have to experience the way he's treated me, even though we'd evolved wow. and we'd like changed. But I really was like, once I realized that I was like, Ooh, girlfriend's got to go. Um, but then, you know, I'm a, like, I cannonball in into things. So then yeah. you know, I really am a like love really like passionately, and had other relationships that like I would meet people the first night and be like okay great so um you're my happily ever after we're gonna get married (laughs) um which I probably scared way too many people away (laughs) I really I mean 
<laughs> the 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 eight year relationship thing it must I think a lot of our listeners will be able to relate to a circumstance mm-hmm. like that because I think it's so common when you take someone who you've been with either in your late teens or early twenties and they do become sort of big element of your life. Um, what what kind of impact do you think that that relationship has actually had on on your future ones that you then went on to throughout your twenties and and now? I think it had a big effect because then I didn't really have long relationships after that. So I had loads of like really short, uh, passionate, uh, you know, thinking that that was and really throwing myself into it. And then mm-hmm. one of them broke up with me on Facebook, just literally changed the status. <laughs> I went on Facebook when you only had social, you only had Facebook. And I went on and I was like, what? In a relationship with blank. And I was like, oh, then I had another relationship where he broke up with me. Like I had gone to visit my parents in Atlanta and he had been on holiday with his family. And then we came back and he was like, it's not the whole typical, like, it's not you, it's me. I need to find myself. Um, and lots of like little relationships that I would, I would constantly say to my friends, no more U-turns. And then like, I'd, I'd, you know, have a fun night out and then I'd end up back or I'd send a text message or I'd make a call or, um, yeah, I guess just with that. And like all of these people, I feel like I really gave like a piece of my heart to, like, I still feel like I really, truly, like, I only wish them the best and I only mm-hmm. want the very best for them and really thought that like at the time and you know, Elizabeth Day talks about it on her, like how to fail podcast of like with relationships and of how, I think, yeah. And I think how Mo, he was like the Google and he talks about how, you know, you look back at relationships and you're like, Oh, thank the God, thank God. Like, or excuse me, but like, thank, thank you. That re- ended. And I wouldn't want to be that person. And I was like, no, all of those people, like, yes, my life would be so different. And maybe like as far as work-wise and as far as all the things I did. But I think with that, you learn new things. But for me, I feel like, yeah, I guess I just, I, you know, I send them love and, you know, and some of them have gotten married. Some of them have had kids. Some of them haven't. <laughs> some of them are still like bumming around in LA. I think, yeah, it just all kind of depends versus like I was really... I guess clear as far as my like work journey and then my personal yeah. life was usually <laughs> a mess <laughs> a mess or or it was always a good story like I love Chelsea yeah. Adler I love her funny like comedy and her ridiculousness and I guess in my 20s I really like kind of modeled it off of that and I remember having a friend be like Christina like that's not <laughs> People aren't going to like take you seriously if you think you're going to be like the next Chelsea Handler. Um, And so my like brashness sometimes I think has gotten Mm. versus now living in a new country, evolving in my practice, evolving in who I am in a very like happy relationship that I met the guy on the street. (laughs) Always the way, isn't it? Always the way while I was traveling. So, and I think that's was too a really lesson of like and chatting with friends over the weekend and like kind of prep of 
of, and looking at old photos of how beautiful my 20s was, but of how also in my 20s of how I was always searching uh, for this thing. Um, And I really, I guess at like 25 made this like mantra for myself of like, people either love or they fucking hate me. And it was like, I think (laughs) it was like a very binary way. And I was just like, just who I am, like take the unicorn or not, which I think parts of me still is, you know, that unicorn. But also I think now I have more shades. I can, depending, yeah, and just more, I guess, into my kind of true, more authentic, I guess, self than yeah. I think in in your 20s dating in general is seen as this oh you've got this big pool and you've got so many options but rejection is something that not many people talk about and it's actually really really hard um did you experience that at all and how did you sort of I guess put yourself first in terms of value over what someone who you, you know you date with and then maybe doesn't want the same things that you do think within the rejection at times maybe I would throw myself even more into it so I would be even more daring or willing to maybe try things or wear something or say something more provocative thinking that that was attractive (laughs) and that they would like me or they would be like oh yes or that very I love romantic comedies and oh, that really, yeah. and I also have like, I'm a totally believer in, in princesses. <laughs> so that idea of like the man with the like, you know, on the horse and I'm going to have the like princess gown and the crowd and people are going to like clap and it's going to be beautiful, <laughs> glorious thing was like, I was just bought into it. Like I loved it. I, mm. I still do sometimes. I know my partner now is like, you know, he's like, Christine, I know your audience. I'm like, you know, it doesn't have, he's much more of a realist and I'm still like, yay, like rainbows, princesses, unicorns. <laughs> <laughs> so bringing it back to your mid twenties, then you discovered teaching and um, you described it in your note to me as sort of like almost your true calling, which I really enjoyed because I think so many of us wait for that moment of, oh yes, finally, like, this is it. This is what I'm supposed to be doing. It's it's come around and I'm going with it. Was it that simple for you or was there a lot to go behind that? Well, I left the concierge job and was a sales accountant at a travel magazine and was like killing it for three weeks. I sold like the front back, the cover. I was like smashing like the sales goals and I was getting training in Orange County where I'm from and they called me in and were like, yeah, we're going in a new direction. Doesn't include you. And I was like, what? I was like, this is my plan. Like this is my next, I was 25. So this is like my five-year plan. I'm going to make loads of money. I'm going to like smash it in the sales world. And they were like, yeah, no thanks. And everybody in the office was like absolutely shocked. They were like, this is ridiculous. Like absolutely not. So they called HR and I sat down and had a chat with her and she was like, yeah, your boss just doesn't like you. She just doesn't feel like she can work with you. And I was just, I guess in that moment too, maybe this is where I get the like love or the hate is I was like, that was a Friday. My dad happened to be in town. We, I had a big cry. Then the next day I met my best friend at like the mall. We went to like this Hello Kitty at Forever 21 thing. We like walked around the mall. My dad was like, 
you're going to do it and smash it. And my actually mentor and teacher friend, Cami, that I helped her start Halo Foundation, a nonprofit, she, and she knew I always wanted to be a teacher. She actually sat my dad down and said, you really need to encourage this. Like Christina needs to be a teacher. She really has a gift and she really needs to do this. And I think, you know, really kind of listening to those mentors and friends that were older than me, you know, they, she was in her thirties and other friends. I always had friends that were older too, and more mature that be like, okay, let's, okay, get, you know, pull yourself up. And, um, so on Monday I went to San Diego state university as well as like Cal state San Marcos and talked to an advisor about getting in the teaching credential program. And I'll never forget the, my advisor at San Diego state was like, you have 10 days to apply. Like, how are you going to get, and it was like a massive application. You had to prove that you've done all these hours of pre-teaching. And I was like, girl, give me a challenge. Let's go. (laughs) And with all of that too, um, broke up with a boyfriend, like when I started my teaching credential program. So I would, I would like go to these classes, cry in my car and then go to these classes and be like, I can do this. (laughs) Um, and then you turn and we'd start talking again and then he would do the same thing. Oh, I don't know if I can bring in a relationship. And you know, and then I, um, so I've always, I guess, just pulled as my, like, so my, one of my best friend's mom would say like, buckle up, buttercup, like, you know, pull up your bootstraps and let's go. And, uh, yeah, that's, within work, I always am a, like, even if I play hard, I work really hard. And um, Well, you said at one point you had seven jobs at once, which is just insane. Um, did you, did you put a lot of pressure on yourself at that age to you know, be everything that you could? Oh, immensely. And I even too, I know for sure I'm a perfectionist. And I think it really came down to two that I had to quote unquote make it because my parents at that time were living in Atlanta and I wanted to stay in San Diego. So the only way to be able to pay for, you know, I had to take out student loans to get my teaching credential and to pay for everything so yeah, and and because of the way the classes were, they were at night, but then you had to student teach portions of the day. So I had all these like side jobs. So I would like teach dance or I'd do some coaching, um, private lessons, nannying, um, anything to kind of, to like scrape basically by um, in it. And and within that, you know, I worked incredibly hard, but I know when I got, when I started my MFA and I was going to have to take student loans out again, I was, gave myself within that permission. I said, for the first year of my MFA, I'm just going to focus on my studies because I know there was loads of stuff in my teaching credential program that I wish I could have read more of or spent a bit more time um, and you know, I did fine. And I was, you know, got landed my dream job after my teaching credential program. But still, I think in learning that and looking back, and I really had to fight for it to even to my parents, to my friends, to like loads of people and like really put, and I think that came with like, moving across, you know, the pond and turning mm-hmm. 30. And how was that sort of moving, um, moving to the UK? At, it was 29, were you or 30? 30, yeah, by the time. Yeah. Yeah. Like a big Uh, decision to do it at that time. 
when I came to London on holiday to visit, actually a, a guy I was like dating, he was traveling the world and he stayed in San Diego for two months. And then I went and kind of came here and visited him. And I remember getting off the plane and immediately being like, I'm home. I just felt this like full body sense of, and my grandparents are from here. And my grandmother, when my dad was young and stuff, she would actually like um, leave and come back to England. And there's just this sense of like, when I first came to London of like, I don't know, a bit of her was like, in, you know, fired up in me and all of the women are really strong, independent feminist women that I felt like when I came here and fell in love with the city, I fell in love with like, wow, you can go from like West to East to North to like, and it's also different. And there's all these like people from all over the world and different languages and different cultures. And, um, and with that, I was like, okay, where do I sign up? Like, how, can I just stay? So with that, then I applied, literally just started looking at directing programs, looking at, um, originally I wanted to go into directing or choreographing, didn't know what really movement directing was. And then I found the course at Central and it was like movement directing. I was like, that's what I do. It's like both <laughs> things. Um, and applied. And that was just really like my focus. I was like, that's my plan. And I auditioned in New York City and people would be like, well, what's your plan B? I was like, yeah, that's not an option. Like this is just, I just manifested it. And my mom says too all the time, she's like, you just put your focus. And I think that was a big thing of, I'm a big like personal development junkie and like love self-help. And really, I think the like thoughts you say to yourself and really what you put in the universe, whatever you believe, whether it's God, the universe, very like spiritual person. And with that... I just was like, that's what it is. And then, yeah, I sold really everything. I sold clothes. I sold uh, my car. I moved and packed everything up and stayed with my parents for like a month before moving here. And then, yeah, and then here we are. (laughs) When you were talking about, you know, plans and sort of manifesting those goals, um, how do you feel when plans don't go according to how you wanted them to and are you now good at accepting that or is that still a struggle I think it's a roller coaster (laughs) (laughs) I'd be impressed if you said yes I don't think anyone's particularly good at when a plan completely changes direction I think too if anything COVID 2020 and going into third lockdown has taught us maybe anything it's like I'm a big planner and I think this comes now from a more inclusive practice way of that I really like to play on and I ha- and I need to play on so that I kind of have a sense of everything I'm in a real just the way that my body and brain works is I'm a real big picture thinker so I need to have a plan to be able to see it but then I feel like I live with that plan maybe in my spine and then it just like I improvise and I kind mm. of you know have to just flow within that and I thought it was beautiful that you're like now you're in your flow I'm like well (laughs) I think too it it comes with time it comes with practice I remember too my I called a best friend and I was like I didn't have that much on and she was just like and I was like unhappy in it she was like girl you love being busy like I thrive and just 
like within the busyness and within the, but also within that, I know that also I love to be now quiet and that Mm -hmm. I am a bit, this is like weird to say, but a bit, even though I am very extroverted when I'm out, I'm also can be quite an introvert and like not want to talk or just have a moment of like, and I think that comes with yoga practice and with having people around you that genuinely love you for you. And mm. I realized too that the people I have around me, I slowly started to realize I want to be able to have everybody that's on my favorites on my phone. I could call any of them and tell them the same story and they would still love me. Mm-hmm. And that, yeah. you know, it wouldn't, they would be a friend to like party with. They would be a friend to like call if you needed them, but all of them really genuinely love you for you. Mm. And not, yeah. Yeah. I, I wanted to touch on friendships briefly before we have to move on to the game. I think we're we're quite similar in the fact that we're both extroverted and when we make a connection with someone, we like to keep those people in our lives because they mean a lot to us. Um, but you said that in your 20s, you definitely chose uh, quantity over quality of friendships. And I just wanted to ask you a little bit about that and whether that has now changed. Yeah, I love meeting new people and making friends. And I realize in you know, my own self-development is that I don't really do small talk. I'm like right in for like, here I am and this is my story and you should listen. It's really great. And like, what's your story? And realizing that that's not how everybody is and mm-hmm. that that's not what people are going to give back to you. And that within that there can be seasons of friendships or there can be friends that really helped you through a time in your life, whether that was a work thing, whether that was a breakup, whether that was like a fun trip you went on, yoga teacher train, you know, a training, but that they don't have to be your best friends, I guess. Mm -hmm. And that I'm a real like, I guess in my 20s too, I was like, these are all my best friends. And now 30s and living across the pond and different time zone, you grow, you move, you, that those friends, I still, you know, even though maybe we don't talk or maybe they've moved on with their life, you know, you still maybe are friends with them on social media. And that, I guess, in any friendship, even if it turned out that it wasn't that, you know, something happened I only wish like that person like well and positive vibes. And if they did like reach back out to me, I would be like, cool. Yeah, let's do it. Let's go to coffee. Let's go to brunch. Let's like go out for drinks. Like, uh, yeah, unpick. I think too, I, I've realized that, you know, we were human and that, you know, we make mistakes and, mm and we fail and it can be a hot mess. But I think if you come at it with, and the way I try is that I come from a place of kindness and compassion. And I think sometimes wearing my heart on my sleeve and really being a wholehearted person and vulnerable as Brene Brown would talk about that. I know I love her too. And that your vulnerability I've realized 
now reading all of her books and listening to all of her podcasts is that you don't need to share everything. And actually me letting you in to my vulnerability and to certain stories and to have boundaries around that. But I think that that just took time. And I think that took me learning and me moving. Uh, And that, yeah, that within your friendships, I think, be kind. And I think that I've had some really, like, people that have not been very kind and, um, you know, very mean and hateful. And with that, you know, I hope they have their own reckoning and that I made me stronger and more of the person that I am today and that I only send kindness and yeah, love, I guess. Yeah. And that Lady Gaga says kindness is free. So more kind. (laughs) So we're going to play Millennial Minesweeper now. I'm just going to read out a few quotes and you're going to tell me whether you agree with them or not. And they're all about sort of life, manifestations, all that sort of jazz. So my first one is unrealistic goals are the only goals worth setting. I agree with that. And it comes from my mentor, Marjorie, saying like dream bigger. So when I got my dream job working at Point Loma, she, I was like, I'm, I'm producing four shows a year, creating all this like magic. I've done all these amazing things, but I feel so unhappy and so just like not fulfilled. And I'm, I have no relationship as far as like a love interest. And I was like, I'm going to wake up at 40 in a studio apartment with a great teaching job. But like, what is, I need more than that. And she was like, girl, drink bigger. So I think, yeah, I think it's always, and I always encourage friends and people like set a dream and then be like, what would happen if I went even bigger and even bolder and even braver? And then within that be a little awkward and like, you know, throw something else in there. (laughs) Yeah. I think people find it scary to dream big because then the devil on your shoulder always says, what if it doesn't happen? And then it feels almost worse than if you hadn't dreamt about it in the first place. But what if it does? Exactly. What if it does? What if it does? What if it does happen? Because like how fucking cool that you dreamed this incredible thing and that your life could be all different chapters. And I have a quote that's on my fridge that says like, you know, nowhere in her book will it say that she gave up. Mm. (laughs) I love that. That's, I think sometimes when I'm having a moment of like, you know, and you need just a big exhale and I'll see the quote and I'm like, that's right, sister, let's go. (laughs) (laughs) Brilliant. Um, Our second quote is, oh, you'll love this one. Okay. (sighs) There's no point in worrying about the things you can't yet control. You'll deal with your five year future self when you get to meet her or him. The great possibility of the future lies in one simple fact. It hasn't happened to us yet. And that is um, Elizabeth Day out of Philosophy, our favourite. <laughs> oh my God, I love that book. I've been doing book club and yoga with her book. I saw that. I wanted to ask yeah. you about that. It looks so good. She came to my class. It was 
I know. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. I just love that chapter. I love that chapter that she talks about. There is no such thing as a future you. Um, And it was, it was, um, she references Kristen Rupinian um, about how she was constantly fearing what her future self would think of the decisions that she's making in her twenties. And actually when she got to the age that she was so worried about that actual present day, um, Kristen didn't didn't care at all and it was like something that she you know didn't even want anymore all the things that she thought that she wanted um and I just thought that was so beautiful to to know that yeah you're never gonna know what your future self wants yeah as well as like living it's hard I find I I at times too and you know another great speaker is Elizabeth Gilbert in you know Big Magic she talks about, especially as an artist, of like your future self will like thank you for things that you've done today. So like of sometimes also my future self, like I'll I'll like do something and I'm like, future Christina will thank you. And like even just saying it by like getting the thing done. Um, I think the definite of what Elizabeth Day talks about and something within your 20s that you're you're kind of fed in a capitalist mindset and the patriarchy of this by this certain time, you need to have achieved these certain things as well as like business makes you like when, you know, we were starting our nonprofit, like a strategic plan and making a business plan. You talk about your one-year goals, your three-year goals, your five-year, your 10-year. And with that, yes, I think it's, it's important to have a plan and maybe some like markers along the way and, but I think it's, and to quote an amazing movement lecturer and teacher, Vanessa Yuen, she was like, be about the work, like let your work, and that can be about you, you know, too, of like, and how you show up in the work mm-hmm. speak for it and speak for, and your future self will like, you know, and will thank you for that. Yeah. Well, that actually brings us on to the third quote, which is um, stop looking at life as something where you have to get in as much as you can and instead take in all that you have. Whoa, girl. Explosion. Mm. (laughs) Obama, my drop. Gif, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And it's just like how being present can actually make us feel like we live a lot longer. The article's called Why Saying Life is Short is a Cop-Out Answer because life can actually feel really long if you just sit long enough in the present moment completely and I used to have things like I used to be like I'll live to like 75 you know like 75 feels like a good number and now you know people are living like longer and longer and my mom too is always like you know you're gonna regret that because you know you're gonna have kids and then you might have grandkids and you're gonna want to be around and actually how beautiful life it can be and of how you know I look at amazing you know, movers and dancers and practitioners that are teaching like way into their 80s and 90s and of how if you move your body every day, how we can live longer. And and yeah, I mean, my grandmother lived to 95. She used to work in a factory making windows till 90. Like if I can have one ounce of her courage and strength and with that, of yeah, like slowing, you know, I think taking it in, but like of like breathing it in through the whole body and showing up to that to really 
be present in, you know, what's around you and, you know, taking some friends and some family along the way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Adventure. Oh, thank, thank you so much, Christina. This has been so lovely. You're so full of wisdom and spiritual I feel just so <laughs> calm <laughs> oh this is such a delight and a joy and it was actually really fun to I guess kind of have this trip and roller coaster down memory lane and so thank you for oh, okay. the invite and fun <laughs> Thanks again, Christina, for coming on the show and a big thank you to you guys at home for listening as well. If you enjoyed this episode, then please feel free to leave us a review on iTunes. We absolutely love to read them and it helps more people find the podcast as well. So it's a win-win really. This podcast wouldn't sound as slick as it does without our wonderful composer and producer, Pete Haff. So a big shout out to Pete. Thank you for working your magic. And we'll be back again next week with another brilliant guest. So I'll see you very soon. 